Chapter 11. Hope is Hope. In Chapter 10, we saw that an assassin attacked Shard, and the Kaiser was determined to take his badge away until Abraham Lincoln intervened. Shard confessed and is assigned as a consultant to his sergeants. In this chapter, Hope is Hope, Shard wonders if Brad is Bradley. Is every woman in the case an adulteress? Shard confesses and suggests that the three deputies talk to Hope. Monday afternoon at headquarters. I think you better sit down before I tell you what I found, Periwinkle said to Johnson as he walked into their office. What could be that bad, he asked. You know it's still snowing. That's no surprise, but listen to this. I ran Bradley and Pressman through the New York State marriage records. What I found leaves us with a serious dilemma, Norseman. I can't imagine why their marriages would give us a problem, little flower. We wouldn't know their wives unless they hung around the local watering holes, and I mistakenly took one out. Periwinkle shot him her most disapproving look. Okay. Bradley Freeney is married to Hope Lomack. Sam Pressman is married to Susan, whose maiden name was Bright. Where'd you get their surnames? I got Bradley's off the Hoffman LaRoche employees list. There were only two Bradleys on it, and the other one was 63 years old. Lomack popped up on the marriage records. A good work, small pedal, but I don't see how that's bad news, he said. Come on, Norsemen, use your brains. None of those names rings a bell. How'd you ever become our temporary lead investigator? I guess it was because I always have a clear picture of the larger view, not because I remember names very well. I don't recall that I ever picked up a woman named Hope, or, oh Jesus, Hope. Do you think that she shards Hope? The one who walked out on him with the drug rep? Uh-oh. Doesn't Bradley do something with drugs? And Denise worked for a drug company, too? You're firing on all cylinders, big man. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I don't remember that the boss ever mentioned Bradley's last name. But how many Bradleys at Hopes can there be in this part of the world? I should point out that their addresses when they got married were in Albany. That convince you? Do you think that Shard knows this? He must. Why hasn't he told us, he asked. Because it cuts too close to the bone to coin one of those clichés he hates so much. Does this mean that he's somehow involved in Denise's murder? This morning he told us how all is folded back on him, especially if he was, or is, sleeping with Ellen and Denise. God, this is a mess, Purple Bloom. What do you think? I didn't expect anything like this. No matter how much we want to absolve him of any complicity, he becomes more involved. He's like a tar baby, she said. Now you're talking like winter. Whatever. This information certainly completes the circle. Shard's ex-girlfriend is married to one of our prime suspects. His other ex-girlfriend is murdered. His present girlfriend might have been the murder target. And someone killed a woman named Ellen because he thought she was the boss's girlfriend. And he may have slept with them all, except the Mansour woman. That Norseman puts him squarely in our pool of prime suspects. My gut instincts, as he likes to say, tells me, however, he didn't do it. Yeah, well, I'm stuck on the fact that the boss has had many girlfriends. That's more than I've had. And I've always felt sorry for him because he seemed so lonely.
You're right, I think he is lonely, she said. But remember, we're making assumptions about his personal life. He may not have slept with Denise, or Helen, or Hope, but I'd put money on the fact that he did with all of them, and there's no doubt that Hope hurt him very badly. Okay, this is lovely. The bottom line here, Periwinkle, is do we tell him what we found? What if he's guilty? Then we're complicit in providing him with inside information. Even if we do so inadvertently, we're breaking the law. True. But you know when he returns from court, the first thing he's going to do is ask whether I've checked the marriage records. What do I say? I don't know. You could say you haven't had time to do it. Or better yet, the marriage bureau system is down. They always seem to be down when we need information. Now you're talking like winter again. But we've raised the level of our office discourse. You didn't answer the question, Periwinkle. What do we do? You're my quasi-official superior at the moment, and you make the big bucks to tackle those tough decisions. Johnson stared at his shoes as if he had never seen them. My gut instinct, small flower, is that we don't tell him. We use the systems are down as an excuse. The nice thing is that we know he won't turn on his office computer and check. He trusts us and doesn't know how to use that machine. You know what, Norseman? I have a sneaky suspicion that he knows how to use it but has no interest in it. But you're right, he won't check. And speaking of Winter, Johnson said, did you find anything on him? I wasn't speaking of Winter. I looked at all the sites the boss suggested, except his tailor. How do I find out who he is? There was no mention of Winter anywhere. Nada. The guy is absolutely invisible. He must be the best libertarian in the country. If only I knew where he went to school, I could check on his class records but I bet he had those kept in invisible ink or something. Okay, we're agreed we'll not mention Bradley and Hope to Shard, and we have nothing to give him on Winter. He'll be overwhelmed with our results, Johnson said. Our results, Norseman? Where do you get the plural stuff? Monday, late afternoon. Shard shook the snow off his coat. Periwinkle sat in his desk chair with Johnson across from her in the office's only other chair. Shard picked up the office phone and shook it violently. A camel dropped out and bounced across his desk. He picked it up and leaned against the doorframe. What a waste of time, he said. I sat in court for over two hours digesting my beans and franks and listening to evidence that Elijah Yates was depressed when he shot his wife and cows. Of course he was depressed. If not before, then certainly after. You know he killed 32 cows? And did you know that every cow in this state has a number and that the court has, has them for all of Yates' dead cows? Would you care to hear the numbers? But not. I'll give you an interesting tidbit, though. They weren't consecutive. Now I found that interesting. Did his wife have a number, Johnson asked? Shard ignored him. Yates admitted to killing all of them, cows and wife. So this should have been an easy case. But no, lawyers are involved. The short version is that I was never called. I just sat there, full of percolating beans and franks. Did you run down the names of those women, Periwinkle? Shard caught her off balance. I tried, boss, but the marriage bureau's computers were down. I'll try again later. They always say that. Computers are down. What does that mean? Someone dropped them? Why down? Why not broken? Cows are down. Soldiers are down. Pants are down. But we know they're all on the ground. Words are learning their, losing their meanings. 
Pretty soon we won't be able to communicate. Then how are we to solve cases? I want to know who these women are. But they're down with the computers. Hell of a world, kids. And the lab reports on the slug in the blood? Syracuse said they're working on both. A woman in the lab guaranteed me that we'd have the results by the end of the week. Latest. And Winter? You must have found something on him. Only his tailor knows, and I don't know who his tailor is. I looked up all the other stuff you mentioned, and he isn't listed anywhere. Well, at least those sites weren't down. That's something. Speaking of down, it's cocktail hour in Newfoundland. Did you know that they're a half hour ahead of us? You mentioned that several times, boss, Periwinkle said. Good. It could be a clue someday. In the meantime, I'm going to take advantage of such a meaningful time differential and go down to discourse with O'Reilly, Leiden's professor of philosophy. You sound like winter, boss. His vocabulary and syntax seem to be catching, Periwinkle said. I never talked to him, said Shard. Monday evening at Schuyler's. Monday nights were slow in Schuyler's. Shard noticed that even witchery wasn't about. That made him happy. The usual, O'Reilly, Shard said, but make it four fingers. I can't stay long, so I'll compress my normal intake. The bartender looked at him as if he were speaking an Estonian dialect, but said nothing. Shard settled under his moose with his Highland Park and camel. He decided that life didn't get a whole lot better than this. Outside his wavy window panes, snow was falling slowly. Inside, no one was playing the electronic games, the jukebox was quiet, witchery was absent, and he was still employed. He thought this should make him content, but he wasn't. He was antsy and needed something to do anything. He decided to eat early and then go home. He stopped in his utility room long enough to pull out the lint filter from his dryer and remove a camel. In his carriage house, his Morgan seemed lonely. Checking the car for fingerprint dust, he walked around it slowly to catch the reflections from the overhead bulb. He saw that Carl had not only wiped off his chemicals, but also cleaned off the salt and filth that Shard had picked up on his drive back from Ellen's. He took his Phillips-head screwdriver, sat on his stool, and began to tighten up the screws in the wood framing around the driver's side door. His car always seemed to be trying to shake off its screws, Shard thought, something like birds do with their feathers in late spring. Shard felt his anxiety slip away as he preened his Morgan. His thoughts turned to Norway. He wondered if Hakon did kill his son. Shard decided he did, especially if his presumed father perceived him as a threat. He suspected that the Jarl had the power to do it or have it done for him because he knew he would never be brought to justice. Shard concluded he was the vulnerable son now. Jarl Uncle Joe was tough, Shard judged, had murderous manpower at his beck and call, with his connections would never be brought to justice. He methodically tightened the screws as his mind swept over the case's landscape, turning over its details and chronology, looking for discrepancies. He believed murders were always entangled in loose ends. All he had to do was find one, tug on it, and the case would come unraveled. The difficulty was he had to have a coherent overview of the tapestry before he knew which string to yank. Tonight he had two tapestries, or maybe two pieces of the same one, and all he could see were loose ends. His thoughts roamed over what Periwinkle and Johnson had told him. Winter was certainly a loose end, but an invisible one. As his mind skimmed over other probables, he tripped over the women who were still unidentified and stumbled on Bradley. 
He mentally circled the man. Deep in his psyche, some moat was trying to push to the surface. On the conscious level, he worked on the case's drug connections. Denise, Bradley, and Winter were affiliated in various ways with LaRoche. Pressman was a chemist, but claimed he'd never worked on anything for drug companies. Shard carried his stool to the other side of the car and began to minister to the loose screws there. His mind, beginning to float again, stumbled up against Bradley, where he made the connection that his hope had run away with a drug rep named Bradley. Drugs and Bradley. Shard wondered if Brad was short for Bradley. Was Brad ever a given name? Was it even remotely possible that this Bradley was a scumbag who had shattered his life four years ago? His mind raced deeper into that chamber. He was certain that he had told Hope about Denise sometime during the half-dozen years they lived together, although he would have never revealed any intimate details. But it was another connection that tied him to the case. He might have slept with both. No wonder Periwinkle and Johnson couldn't eliminate him as a suspect. His mind wandered freely. Hope had cuckolded him with Bradley, if an unmarried lover could be cuckolded, and then run off with him. They married, and the irony was that good old Brad, or Bradley, might be cheated on her, just as she had cheated on Shard. Just as a way of coming full circle, he thought. If Brad was Bradley, and if he were still married to Hope, he might have reason to pin the crime on him, Shard reasoned, but he couldn't think of an explanation for why. He'd never laid eyes on Brad. Brad had won. He got the girl. Brad had won again, if he got Denise. He rose in his company while Shard fled to his hometown. Brad made money while Shard bucked snowdrifts. Shard asked himself why Brad would be angry at him. He had two of the three girls Shard had ever cared about. And if Brad really hated Shard, couldn't he be satisfied that he left the policeman an emotional cripple for years? As Shard tightened the last screws, he wondered how the car could have worked them all loose. He idly considered taking them out and gluing them into their holes. He decided that would take some of the fun out of owning the old girl. He wouldn't have a reason to sit in his unheated carriage house in the middle of perpetual snowstorm, tightening screws and thinking. His brain clicked back to its former paths. None of this made sense, if he had the wrong Bradley. If that were so... He had just wasted a perfectly good time on a wild goose chase down a cliché-ridden path. Tuesday morning, Shard's office. It was like old times, Shard thought, as he slipped into his office. It was snowing. His colleagues would soon appear, and somewhere nearby a round, fresh camel awaited. He thought a moment, pulled out the top cabinet filing drawer, and gently untapped the camel from behind the front of it. I can't see any of my evidence of my car at all, Periwinkle said as she brushed the flakes off her navy blue peacoat. Everybody has quit shoveling a sidewalk, so I had to walk in the middle of the street. What happened to all the stuff about global warming? It ain't happening here. Yikes, what a place. I wonder if the Orlando Police Department has any openings. If I worked down there, at least I could remember what color my car is. Charlie wasn't listening. He was waiting for her to remove her scarf to allow her gorgeous auburn hair to cascade down to her shoulders. "'You've forgotten the color of your car?' Johnson asked from the doorway. "'Incipient senility, don't you think?' "'You're one to talk, Hulk. Your ancestors in that godforsaken place they lived lost their chariots every winter.' "'They didn't have chariots, little flower. The Romans did.' 
That's because the Vikings didn't have the wheel, she snorted. Okay, guys, let's get to work before the Kaiser loses re-election and we're booking passage in a chariot to Orlando, Shard said. Orlando? What's there? Johnson asked. Earlier conversation, Norseman. Now, Periwinkle, it might be a good idea this morning to try to find the names of your X, Y, and Z women. The marriage bureau ought to be up and running, otherwise how's the state going to maintain its high divorce rate? Notice that's a suggestion, if you will. I think it would be interesting to find out who they are. Periwinkle said a pleading glance towards Johnson that bespoke, What do I do now, oh, interim boss? Johnson remained impassive. Obviously, he did not have the slightest idea. Shard decided that he wouldn't mention his mental meanderings of the night before. The odds against Bradley being the bread were astronomically high. But if he hit the nail on the head, cliché be damned, he wasn't ready to reveal it. While you're communing in your unseen world, Periwinkle, the Viking and I will take our chariot down to see Mr. Pressman. He ought to be more forthcoming if we interrogate him at work. It might be a good idea, Norseman, if you'd procure a couple of real coffees and some donuts while I go outside to examine my lamppost. That absurdity didn't require an explanation. I have directions to Abbott, Johnson said as they drove into Utica. Pretty easy to find. Do you have any idea why someone named a company Abbott, Shard asked, as he turned his wipers up to keep up with the snow? I'll bet it's a bookie outfit run by your mob friends. They're taking odds right now on whether they'll knock you off. Maybe we ought to put some money on it. Are you wagering for or against my demise? With me at your back, boss, they haven't a chance. I'm putting this week's paycheck on your survival. That's comforting. It must be an acronym, Shard said. Yeah, something like the American-Italian Betting Enthusiasts Tavern. There it is, on the left. I hate left turns, Shard said. Okay, but while you're trying it, I'll read their sign. I was close, boss. It's called the American Biological and Environmental Technologies. Doesn't sound like a drug company. Besides, the sign is too modest. With the drug company's profits, I'll wager their signs are the size of ballparks. The best thing about Winter's Boss is the snow covers up the blue handicapped parking symbols. We can pull right up next to the door. I was going to anyway. They found Pressman in his immaculate lab, wearing a starched white lab coat. He seemed less than enthusiastic that they had intruded upon his precincts. Where are all the Bunsen burners and beakers, Johnson asked. This isn't that kind of lab, Pressman said. Why don't we go into my office where we can have some privacy? Shard noticed that Pressman didn't raid a corner office, but it was right next to his lab and twice as large as Shard's, and had four chairs, all of which looked new. This was Lieutenant Thomas Shard, an advisor on this case, Mr. Pressman. Glad to meet you, Lieutenant, but I must tell you that I have told Sergeant Johnson everything I know, which isn't much. Except for one important piece of information, Mr. Pressman, Shard said. Who you were with on the weekend before last. You see, the only way we're going to find Miss Sizemore's killer is to eliminate suspects who couldn't have done it. To do that, we have to check everyone's alibis, yours included. All we need is the name of the woman you were with that weekend, and we'll be on our way. I'm afraid I can't tell you, Lieutenant. As I've told the sergeant several times, I'm not at liberty to reveal her name. She doesn't want to become involved in the case, and besides, she's married. I wish she would release her name. It would make my life easier. I admire your reluctance to talk about personal matters, Mr. Pressman. 
but I assure you that if your story checks out, her name will go no farther than the three of us. I don't wish to make anyone's personal life public, and if you spent the whole weekend in a motel, you've broken no laws, so private matters will stay private. I appreciate that, sir, but I'm honor-bound to abide by our wishes. Believe me, I've tried to change your mind, but I also fully appreciate that if I were in her shoes and had a husband like hers, I'd probably do the same. What does Bradley do for a living, Mr. Pressman, Shard asked. He works for a drug company, the name of which escapes me. And I suppose you won't divulge his surname, Shard said. No, I won't. That wouldn't happen to be an old friend of mine, Bradley Freeney, would it? Asked Shard. At the mention of Freeney, Shard noted that Pressman's eyes involuntarily grew larger, and what sparkle they had disappeared. Oh, Christ, it is, Shard said to himself. You know I won't tell you that, Pressman said. Shard noted that he didn't deny it. I'll tell you what I'll do then, Shard said. I'll have to try to chase your friend's name down through the other avenues, starting with Bradley Freeney. If that doesn't work, I'll talk to the desk clerk at the motel to get a physical description of the woman and the number of the room you occupied. We'll dust it for fingerprints and search for other physical evidence that may still be there. A strand of hair. Anything may help us trace her. If I find her, I won't be under any compulsion to keep her name quiet. It would not be inconceivable that such information might come to the attention of Abbott's managers, which would not be to your advantage, I should think. That's not a threat, sir. Just a fact. I still can't reveal her name, Lieutenant. I do have my principles, despite what you guys think. Okay, I'll have to accept that. One more question, Mr. Pressman. Do you know a man named Tim Winter? Shard saw Pressman physically react to the question. His face nodded up into a mask of disgust. Not back to that again, Lieutenant. I have told your sergeant everything I know, which is absolutely nothing, about Winter. For some reason, Sergeant Johnson and his female sidekick are convinced that I am Winter. I never heard of him. Never. Never talked to him on the phone? You're not listening, Lieutenant. I never heard his name, or his voice, or saw him and I'm becoming damned irritated by your constant meddling in my affairs. Shard noted Pressman's unfortunate but accurate turn of phrase. I told your sergeant, Pressman continued, that I'm going to call a lawyer and let him talk for me. It may be time to do it now that you're threatening me. I'm sorry you took what I said as a threat. I just wanted to lay out a probable scenario. We hope to not have to bother you again but I would appreciate it if you would talk to your friend again. I don't think it'll make an iota of difference, Lieutenant, but I'd move heaven and hell to get you guys out of my life. I would too, sir, Shard replied. Back in the snow, Shard removed a spade from his trunk from its original vinyl covering and took out a camel. You know something, Norseman, he said, as they drove out of Abbott's parking lot? My instincts tell me that he's exactly what he says he is an adulterous philanderer caught up in something he can't get out of without compromising his bed partner. Kind of laughable, isn't it? All they wanted was a little illicit sex in a quiet, out-of-the-way motel, and suddenly they're murder suspects. I think he's frightened. Not because he killed Denise, but because he thinks we might have. You know what the moral of this story is, Viking? I can think of several, boss. Never take those little sweeties you pick up in the local watering holes to bed. They could come back to haunt you in ways you've never imagined. You're one to talk, Johnson thought. Tuesday noonish in headquarters. Hello, Neil, Shard said. 
Behind his boots, Neil kept a fruit jar full of ballpoint pens. The shard picked one out and unscrewed it and shook out a camel. How do you do that, sir? Neil asked. Do you hire someone to hide them? Heavens no. R.J. Reynolds provides them, and I have a sixth sense that tells me where they are. Do I know him, sir? I don't think so, Neil. Johnson, who had, had appropriated Shard's desk chair, had his feet propped up on the desk. Shard sat down on the chair opposite him. Johnson, ask Periwinkle to come up, will you? And ask her to bring me a cup of coffee. I have something to discuss with both of you. I'm afraid it's out of the downstairs machine, boss, she said as she walked in. But the word on the street is that Bluter strained this pot through a newer used pair of her nylons. In other words, nobody's gotten sick from it today. That's about it. Okay, I have figured something out, and I think it's time to tell you guys. Where you take it from here is up to you, Shard said. I got to thinking in my carriage house last night, and I kept rubbing up against Bradley. As you've heard more than once, I lived with a woman who left me for a drug rep named Brad. I wondered if Brad was always short for Bradley, or if it was a given name. Further, we know that Denise worked for a drug company, and Pressman told us this morning that Bradley also worked for a drug company. That's a lot of drugs snowing on this case. Too many, I think, for coincidence. Now, if my hunch is correct, and this Bradley is my Bradley, he may still be married to Hope, my former girlfriend. If that's the case, she's the woman Pressman spent the weekend with. A hell of a coincidence, huh? I wasn't going to mention this to you because I thought the odds on it were improbable and extreme. Plus, it embeds me in the case even more deeply. But when I asked Pressman this morning if Bradley's last name was Freeney, he ever so slightly blanched, which told me it is. I looked up Brad's last name at the state police after he stole Hope, and I always thought of him as a just Brad, which is what Hope wrote in her Dear John note. This morning his surname popped to my mind for the first time in years. So that's the story. What do you guys think? We already knew all that, boss, Periwinkle said. What? How? Why didn't you tell me? It would have saved us a trip this morning. I don't know about the what, but the how is a little embarrassing. I lied to you yesterday. The marriage bureau's computers weren't down. I found Bradley's last name in the Hoffman LaRoche file and discovered that he married a woman named Hope in Albany. Not quite four years ago. It had to be your hope. Your second question is also embarrassing. Johnson and I discussed whether we should tell you we knew this. Normally we would have, but you're still a suspect, and you knew several of the, our other suspects, so we decided to wait. Wait for what? I don't know, boss, Johnson said. I suppose until we could clear you. We don't for a moment think you killed anyone, but we've been unable to rule you out either. Oh, wonderful, was all Shard could think to say. Tuesday noon at Schuyler's. O'Reilly leaned on his bar and said, You rarely drink at noon, Lieutenant, but today you look like you need a beer. It's on the house. You're giving me a free beer? I must look terrible, but thanks. Word is out the sheriff was going to fire you this morning, did he? God, how does that stuff get started, O'Reilly? But no, he didn't. In fact, I'm back helping with the investigation. You ought to be happy, Lieutenant. Yeah. What's Mrs. O have on for this noon? O'Reilly studied the menu for what Shard thought was an inordinate time. Looks like she has a special you might like. Beans and Franks. Perfect. Tell her I'll have the big plate, Shard said as he walked over to commune with his moose. 
He stared up at the moose's outthrust lower lip in front of its prominent dewlap and wondered what to do now. The Kaiser was right. He was too close to several of the suspects, closer than the sheriff knew. Hope was the obvious place to start. If she had spent the weekend with Pressman, that would eliminate the chemist as a suspect. He'd asked Periwinkle and Johnson to go down to Utica to interview her. As he gorged on his heaped plate of beans and franks, he realized he wanted to see her again. He hadn't laid eyes on her since that fateful morning when he kissed her goodbye as he left for work. He had long wanted to know why she had left without the slightest hint. He'd been asking her for months to marry him, when apparently at the time she was cheating on him and wanted to be shed of him. Some detective I am, he told the moose before he drained his beer. After a visit to his lamppost, he found his sergeant seated in the same chair as they were warming before he left for lunch. He shook the snow off his coat and tossed it on the corner of his desk beside Johnson's feet. I talked to my moose at lunch, and he suggested a line of inquiry in this case. Oh, do tell, boss, Johnson said, and what was it? Keep pursuing the sexual leg and go down to talk to Hope this afternoon. If we tell her that we know she was shacked up with Pressman for the weekend last, she'll probably admit it, or deny it if she wasn't. Either way, we will have made progress. Good idea, boss, but I have a pronoun problem. Exactly who is we? Johnson asked. I thought about that, Norseman, and consulted with Mr. Moose on the subject. After a good deal of discussion, we decided that I should accompany you guys. Only as an advisor, you understand. I know, or rather knew, the woman very well, and ought to be able to judge if she's telling the truth. At the risk of being cruel, boss, you missed all her signs a few years ago when she walked out on you. How well do you think her, you know her now? Touché, Periwinkle. But now I know what I'm looking for. Jeez, boss, the Kaiser will go nuts if he hears about this, Johnson said. This is where our arrangement gets tense or even conflicted, Periwinkle said. I'm in no position to tell you you can't come along. It's up to Johnson to do that. He's in charge here. Well, Norseman, Shard asked. Johnson stared over Shard's head at something in a distance that approached infinity, with a look that indicated he was riffling through the sagas to find an instance that would guide his decision. His silence indicated he wasn't having much luck. Well, Shard prompted, the fact that you add a professional and personal experience, I think, outweighs the downside. I would appreciate it, though, if none of us mentions anything to the Kaiser unless he directly asks. He will go ballistic if he hears about this. Good, that's settled, Shard said. Maybe Periwinkle will call Hope to see if she can see us this afternoon. That's a request, right, boss? Periwinkle said with a smile. Absolutely.